You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 156 for this edition of the podcast. I chatted with Los Angeles-based songwriter Ryan Polly. Polly has made a name for himself over the last decade, making excellent records as Los Angeles Police Department. And in 2019, he released his self-titled debut on Anti Records. His prior works can be described as inspired by the folk music of Laurel Canyon. But in late December, he released his first ambient record, an audiovisual album called Museum at the End of Time. The project was developed by Polly in conjunction with video synthesis artists Nicole and Paul Picone with the intention of alleviating anxiety through an audio-visual trance state. During our interview, Ryan and I chatted about how he got started with meditation, what drove him to write an ambient record in 2020, the collaborative process involved in making an audio-visual work, and much more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website, where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. Where in the world are you? Jersey City. Sweet. Right outside Manhattan. um, I grew up in North Jersey in in Bergen County. Oh, nice. What Um, town? Upper Saddle River until it was like, I think like 12 or 13 and then I went to outside of Philly. Nice. Yeah. I'm I'm uh, fa- familiar with Upper Saddle River right by the border, right? It's like yeah. pretty close to New York State Definitely. border, right? Hence hence both of our love for the Rangers jersey. Dude. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I was a, I it was like the one it's like the one rivalry between the Devils and the Rangers where I liked both teams. I can I respect that. I, don't. I hate the Flyers. Yeah, but... I hate the Flyers too. <laughs> and... But you hate the Devils too. Yeah, well, not as I don't hate them per se, but I wouldn't like support them. Ever, yeah, I mean, I know? don't watch anywhere near as much hockey now. I pretty much only watch Premier League soccer. Um, but uh, but growing up, it's weird because like now that I'm I'm like rewatching a lot of old hockey. Yeah. Um, like old games and like a lot of my heroes were total goons. A lot of those oh, devils yeah. guys like Scott Stevens, Claude Lemieux are like really not good people. Oh yeah. Claude Lemieux is a scumbag. Total Dude, scumbag. The worst. And I used to love it. You know, as a yeah. kid, you don't really know, but now I'm like, Oh, that guy's no good. Scott Sk- Stevens ended a lot of careers, basically Lindros. ended Lindros's career. Yeah, man. You know, it's uh Games changed a lot, Definitely. you know? Do you still watch? Yeah, I basically just watched the Rangers. I'm telling cool. you, like, eight or nine years ago, and when I was a kid, man, I knew, like, fucking everything about Same. every team Same. and stuff. And then, I don't know, I just couldn't dedicate all that time to it anymore. No, me either. Yeah, exactly. You know? 
Yeah. Because yeah, I remember like 2011, 2012, the late 2000s. Like I knew everything about every team. I remember yep. I, people would ask me about like head coaches of the wild. And I'm like, oh yeah, Mike, Yeo, Mike, Yeo, or whatever. <laughs> and just talk shit. Isn't but then, Scott Stevens over at the wild as a coach now? He could be. That's very possible. Yeah. That's I feel totally like there's like possible. some devils floating around in the, in the management part of things. But I, yeah, I don't really watch anymore. I'll watch playoff hockey. Yeah. Just cause there's nothing like it. But then, um, yeah, it was it was mostly just growing up. I played too growing up. Yeah, and then um, you know did the whole like travel hockey. Thing. Oh damn, that's really and then that's yeah, intense. it was intense. I almost went to like an all boys school to play hockey. What like and CBA like, or yeah, and I was CBA, like CBA. No. Yeah, it was it was Haverford in Pennsylvania. Oh shit, they like recruited okay. me to play in yeah. um, in high school, and I was like, no, I can't. Because once once all the hitting started, like. It was weird because, like, you'd have, like, 15-year-old kids that looked like 15-year-old kids. And then you'd have 15-year-old kids who looked like 35-year-old yeah. men out on the ice trying to hurt people. And it just got it got pretty crazy pretty quick. Yeah. I grew up on Staten Island until I was 15 years old. And then I moved to Verona, New Jersey, okay. which is, like, next to Montclair. And I played hockey all through my youth on Staten Island. And they're like really intense about it there. The yeah. parents and shit. Oh my God, so, hockey dads. Yeah. <laughs> so Get ejected more than people get ejected yeah, in professional sports games. I played house leagues and stuff. And then yep. I remember I tried to play in high school at this all boys high school that I went to for a year on Staten Island. And I was like, this is just too, you know, not fun anymore. Yeah, so exactly. then I, I like quit. Yeah, I played for the Little season. Devils. I played yeah. in the Garden State games. I played for the Ramapo Saints. Dude. Have you ever heard of Ramapo? Yeah. Okay, yeah. There was like another travel team too that like, I remember my friends, I remember the Rangers drafted this guy, Bobby Sanguinetti, who was supposed to be good. Yeah, and then he got traded to Carolina and he never really broke through. But he played for some New Jersey like travel team. Too. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was like my big thing when I was a kid. More yeah. so the music was hockey. Yeah. And then now definitely Same. more music than hockey. Same, except, <laughs> except I don't play. I just do stuff like this. I mean, kind of the... similar trajectory yeah, for the bulk for sure. of us. Yeah, well, That's cool, funny, man. Though. Well, I appreciate you like checking out the new ambient thing and and asking me to do this. It's, it's, and 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 your record collection was just like, oh, we'd be friends anyway. So oh yeah, totally. So I'm I'm glad we're becoming fast friends. Yeah, exactly. Becoming fast friends. Yeah, I've been a I've been a fan of yours. So it was cool that we connected through awesome. the perpetual doom guy. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, you know, I love your records, Los Angeles. A police department and stuff and thanks man your t solo record in 2019 really fucking great too thanks so man. yeah i'm excited to talk about this ambient record too because it's totally different than anything you've put out before yeah definitely yeah different and times <laughs> before but before we get into it though i mean you've had quite the last half decade you know i was i was sorry to hear that you you were diagnosed with cancer but you you went through it and you you beat it and i'm just curious about how such a significant life event at a young age 
Did it alter your perspective when it comes to making music as far as the direction you were going in with the types of songs you were writing and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that most of the time when I'm writing, if I... I really admire a lot of writers who will will sit down and be like, you know what, I'm going to write a song about this tough time, or I'm going to sit down and pick up a guitar and I'm going to write a song about this breakup. And, you know, they walk away with a song about something very specific. And um, I always found that if I would, if I would do that, I would get too analytical in my, you know, in while writing. And it was best for me to just kind of let things come out as they do and then kind of look back on the songs and start you know and and the the interesting thing was when that was going on my diagnosis there were only i want to say like three tracks off my last record that i recorded after having gone through chemotherapy and they're pretty they're pretty on the nose and and it's like you know if i had written a whole record during that time i think it would have definitely influenced the material that I was writing. But I think that the biggest perspective shift was just, it was like re-solidifying the idea of spending my life um, or, or a majority of the time that I have with art. Um, because I think a lot of the challenges that, uh, you know, someone trying to make art uh, with the majority of their time face is, you know, anywhere from you know ego tripping to external validation from others to not coming home with a paycheck um and you know the whole capitalist approach to who am i and if i go to a party and someone's like what do you do and i'm like i'm in a band they're like oh i've heard have i heard of you you're like no like that you'll feel bad about the time that you're spending with art and i think it was really it re-solidified my thoughts about like oh that's all kind of bullshit. It was just so clear. It was like, I don't want to be at a desk I, if I can help it. You know, there's, there, you know, and right now I'm in a position where uh, luckily I, I, I'm not at a desk job and I was just spending, you know, you know, eight hours a day doing things that weren't something that was giving me a lot of fulfillment. And, and it was just kind of like, okay, well, if I could, if I could get diagnosed with cancer, just like, blindsided by this huge life event and anyone can at any time there's really no fucking around like let's just go out and have fun and let's go do what we love to do because even if you get tripped up by like okay well but i do want a paycheck and i do want a family and i do want stability and all that stuff you could you could be saving up for that moment and it could never come and you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and then you wasted your time not making that record that you wanted to make so that was the biggest perspective shift was just being like, okay, I know that what I'm doing, I'm having fun doing, make sure that you're having fun doing it. Cause if it's not fun, don't, don't do it. And, and yeah, spend your, spend the majority of your time if you're fortunate to be able to doing things that make you happy. Yeah, totally. And that's really important. It definitely puts things in perspective and shows that the creative aspects of what you do are really important to you and to others as well. Yeah, exactly. And on your 2019 album, which I had mentioned I love, your 2019 self-titled record, you. you explore religion and spirituality in relation to death. And the album that you just put out, uh, Museum at the End of Time, definitely approaches and explores that, but in a very different way. How do you think your previous record, where you're kind of exploring those concepts, 
informed this record, if if it did at all. Interesting. I mean, I think that uh, part of my process is, um, you know, obviously the hope is to connect with your art with other people and you know that that's what's happening right now and it's such a rewarding part of that experience of of being someone who makes things um but i'd be you know lying if i didn't say that uh, you know a huge part of it is the relationship that i have with myself around creating and and you know it, it it's I think some people will go in and, and make things for specifically for others. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like someone writing a protest song or someone, you know, being really trying to tap into connecting. Um, but a lot of what I do has to do with, um, you know, connecting with myself on a level that's a little bit more transient, a little bit less, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of therapeutic in a way. And I think that, um, the way that I feel when I'm uh, making music is similar to like, you know, like that, like those feelings that we have in life where it's like, oh man, like when I go to the beach and I go in the ocean for the first time and I come out and I sit on the sand, that feeling is meaningful and like resetting and rejuvenating and helps my mental health. A lot of music is that type of thing for me. Like I'll go and I'll make something and then at the end of the day, it feels good. It feels different. It feels like I've connected with myself in a way. And so I think that um, my own anxieties uh, and my own struggle with my anxiety disorders um, play into that in a way where I'll be feeling weird or feeling off or feeling anxious. And I retreat into a space of creating and making art and it helps. And I think that that's, you know, I wouldn't recommend it as the only source of mental stability in someone's life but it but there have been times in my life where it was you know I wasn't going to therapy I was just making music and it was you know it it was more helpful than not having that in my life so I think both of those projects the last self-titled record that I did um, my next record that hasn't come out yet and this ambient piece all relate to each other in that way where it's kind of exploring how I'm feeling exploring uh, the bad things that I'm feeling and and putting them into creating something. Um, but the ambient project, I think, is the most specific with um, being... Uh, for, it started with trying to provide myself um, some, some release and some relief from anxiety and depression. Um, and then after making it, thinking, oh, well, it does, it it has helped me when I listen back to it, it helped me making it. This is what I want to set out to do in that that second half of it, which is connecting with others. It's better for me to put that intent into it in how I, you know, package it for others by being like, hey, this is how it helped me. This is my intent. And, you know, who's to say someone might not listen to it and and it might make them feel more anxious. You just don't know. But the intent behind this connection with others and sharing this piece of music was to, um, to provide, you know, kind of, a, a space where, uh, you know, things can kind of melt away a little bit, you know, like some, some sort of, it's like turning on one of the meditation apps type of deal. Like that was the hope was to, to give people that, yeah, that feeling. Totally. And that's really what came across to me while listening to it and watching the accompanying visual piece. And it's really cool that, this is something that you created as a means to 
help you relieve your own anxiety and stress. And now you're putting it out there into the world for other people to use in that way as well. So it's kind of cool the way those two things kind of come together like that. Definitely. And I, and I mean, you know, through my struggle with anxiety specifically, um, ambient music, you know, has been kind of a godsend for me. Um, you know, and that kind of goes back. I think that's another way that it's directly related to my bout with cancer was, um, you know, I'd find myself driving to chemotherapy and a lot of music would feel very overstimulating um, and just too much, yeah. you know, like it would just, it would just be like, uh, like, you know, cause you just don't feel good in your body and, and in your head. And so you put on music that normally you'd love you put on your favorite Beatles record and you're just like, oh, I can't. Like, maybe it's just silence that I need. Um, but um, ambient music was uh, really helpful for me while receiving chemotherapy, on the way to chemotherapy. It's helpful for me when I'm going to the airport, when I'm going to doctor's appointments to make sure that everything's still cool with me. Um, just any, any moment where I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be hard for me. You know, like, this is going to be an anxious thing for me it is a it's uh, ambient music has been a tool for me to use to to help a, a great amount with that and and you know it's there are specific pieces of music that i go you know when i when i checked out my spotify wrapped it was the, the top few things were those tools right because i because i will listen to them on repeat when i'm on a plane i'll listen to them re on repeat when i'm having a tough time so um, I think that there is something about the repetition, about the minimalism, about the space that it creates uh, that that can be stimulating without being overstimulating. And the repetition, I think, helps you sink into that 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 pattern and that mantra and that place. Yeah, really cool. And listening to it, there is a lot of deliberate repetition in in the melodies and the different sounds as a means to be calming and soothing. So I was just curious, how do you approach writing an ambient record with kind of those things in mind that you want to create these layers of sounds and things that kind of cycle like that in order to create this calming effect? Yeah, it's, um, I kind of, I think that when you make music and you have a, a really deep appreciation for the music you're trying to make. I think like, you know, that kind of musical tourism, I think sometimes it's called, although I hear that more in relation to like Paul Simon doing Graceland or like, you know, like kind of taking a music that you love and incorporating it into your own music. And um, whether that's based on location or, or region, or if it's based on style, often they're very intrinsically linked. I think that um, for me, there was definitely a goal in mind as far as what I was trying to do. But then again, it gets back to that thing of um, getting too analytical and being like, oh, I really want to set out to do this. And you get tripped up in your method and then it doesn't come out as honest as you want it to. So I, uh, I borrowed a friend's profit synthesizer and none of this would have happened if I hadn't borrowed it. And it was during quarantine and I, you know, had finished a record, uh, 
the, of my own kind of like you know my, my where my own like solo project is called because it's helpful for me to even though this is under my own name it's helpful for me to, to treat my own musical tourism with new band names or new yeah. aesthetics uh, i think it's because a, a lot of like you know trying to be like well i have this one project musically but i want to bring in doom metal and i want to bring in hip-hop and I wanna, <laughs> it's it kind of yeah, can yeah. get a little messy so it's helpful yeah. for me to kind of parse it out um so you know I, I wasn't setting out to make anything i i was setting out to borrow a new instrument which is off, often like super helpful for me either location or a new toy is really helpful for me to get kind of a surge in in finding that childlike um you know, playtime with a new toy, basically, where, you know, you get a new Lego set and then six hours have gone by. Uh, it's like kind of like that with music. It's, you know, I, I, I never had a profit to play around with and my friend has one. And I have this, uh, this G- old uh, Roland Juno. And I remember wanting to get a profit and not, uh, not being able to afford both really either. But I got a Juno because it worked better with my own project. Um, but the profit is is one of those things where it's it's one of those machines that kind of it just it, it's like an entire universe within the keyboard and and the Juno's kind of limiting in the way that it's it has a lot of sounds in it but it kind of sounds like the same thing it's like um, you know getting different sounds out of an electric guitar um, but the profit has these worlds not only that are new and exciting to anyone but especially to someone who doesn't have yeah. one. So, and I knew that there was a time limit, like I wasn't going to put my friend out of his nice yeah. synthesizer for a month. Um, so I knew that my time would, would run out. Um, I offered him a trade to, to let him borrow my Juno. So it felt okay. Yeah. And, and I set it up and, and just started exploring. And instead of plugging it into an amp, I just plugged it into my recording rig and had my headphones on and started kind of like getting in the zone into that meditation space just by, you know, exploring what it could do. And the melodic ideas would kind of rise out of uh, the sounds that I was finding. I would find a sound and and it kind of steers you to that planet where that kind of piece lives and it kind of just comes out. Um, and then I would, you know, it was really uh, a, a relief for me when you sit down and write a song in traditional format, a lot of times, the first idea will come so naturally and so beautiful and that'll be your chorus. And then you're like, Oh, I got to write a verse. And and then that's the, the, the unlocking. And I find that oftentimes the verse isn't as good as the chorus because you had to force it. Uh, but with ambient music, it was, it was, it was really just one central idea falling in love with one four note pattern or two chords and, and kind of just being like, you know what, that's it. And, and a lot of ambient music is, half an hour of that and for me it was i almost did like the hardcore ep of ambient music because all my tracks are you know three minutes instead of you know an expected 13 minute piece but it allowed me kind of to have like a beginning a build and an end and um i used some piano and i used some other keyboards but the profit was kind of the main inspiration for and i think that's why it kind of has like a vangelis type of feel to it like blade runner type rainy futuristic sci-fi vibe is because i think the prophet was instrumental in his work on that specific soundtrack as well yeah that's so cool and it must be so exciting to kind of dive into a new way of writing music and creating something different than you would normally do and then definitely listen to the finished product and enjoy it and realize you created something really cool so yeah and it was really natural in the way that that happened i remember talking to some people who were like 
um, we really love this. Like, um, we, we think that you know you should you should add some more. But it but it it was cool to kind of let it run its course. It, you know, I had I had to give the keyboard back, and also there's a certain time in it, no matter what you're creating where you sit down with your paint brushes and your paint and you're not feeling inspired by whatever that spark was the previous two weeks, excuse me. And, and that's kind of what happened to me. I was done and that's what it was. And who knows if I'll ever go back there. I'd like to, but I think that kind of letting yourself be inspired without forcing it is kind of a really nice way to make stuff. So that's ended, that ended up being what it was. And I think the influences on the, the piece are, are loud. Uh, but uh, as always is the hope, I hope, you know, the original voice behind it is um, also loud enough to make it stand on its own. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great, really powerful piece of work. And I'm curious because you came up with the concept for the record while toying with concepts of visual hypnosis, um, audio hypnosis and meditation. When did you first start getting into uh, meditation and incorporating those practices into your life? When I was in high school, I was getting into a bit of trouble. I think my teachers and parents would call it behavioral issues. Um, but I would just, you know, find myself <laughs> yeah. in the principal's office or in detention every week. Um, and... I think that, you know, I was lucky to go to a school where the teachers were able to give a little bit extra and class size wasn't too big. And um, I had a French teacher who was very into mindfulness practices and he kind of took me under his wing. He taught like an extracurricular during study halls that you could go to called mindfulness. And he, you know, would have us uh, walk outdoor labyrinths. He would have us, you know he would read us passages of the Tibetan book of the dead. He would, you know, and, and that kind of started my journey of, of just non-traditional non-Western because of course they're very traditional. So that's the wrong way to put it, but it, opening my eyes from just knowing my own Western context of what religion and spirituality was, you know, through Judaism and Catholicism, mostly into, into branching into these ideas that felt a little bit more, applicable to and, and less pushy and less um, God oriented and more self oriented. And uh, I think that followed me through college and I would, you know, have a meditation practice in college. And I think meditation and breathing exercises and the journey inward has been a huge part of my life for a long time. And I think Music, you know, it's, it's 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 hard to make that connection super tangible, but music's played into that for sure. And I think that, um, you know, I, I dated a woman for five years who is a uh, does you know retreats and women's workshops, and so there was a lot of education through that relationship as well. And as far as the the more out there stuff as far as like um audiovisual hypnosis uh trance states you know i remember reading uh, a book a ramdas book where he was talking about um being in a trance state and like actual experiencing actual astral projecting to a i think that's still the applicable term but or maybe not because he was still in this 
realm, but he was able to visit his teacher who was in the house next door, have a conversation with him, his teacher about, let's say, a butterfly, was able to return back to his body, then exit the door, go over to his teacher, and this teacher in the door in the in the house next to him was like, so butterflies, huh? Like as if they had this yeah. experience within their own mind and this connectedness. And, you know, I think I, I, I just, I'm not sure if you could, if I could write down for you what my faith or, or belief entails, um, because it's so, yeah, it's I a, kind of, I kind of believe that like we're kind of dogs without a master type of deal. Like, yeah. like, we, like we don't, like we can't even begin to touch what is actually there. So why even try to be like, oh, it's, it's God or it's Jesus or it's, you know, um, that it's, that it's just so, it is there, but it's so out of our grasp, but that doesn't mean we can't touch it and have those beautiful experiences whether it's with art or it being in the ocean the first time or through meditation or whatever it is. And so I kind of brought music into that and was kind of thinking, you know, ambient music has brought me transcendence. Can, can, can me creating ambient music do that for me as well? Um, and yeah, I don't think it, I don't think I've reached transcendence with my own album, but it has been really helpful in meditation. It's been really relaxing for me. So I think, you know, you can label that whatever it is. Yeah, because you mentioned I saw in that Instagram post that these things, writing this record and writing music for you and meditating kind of helps you grapple with these bigger concepts, God the universe things like that did writing this album help you in your quest i guess to better understand these huge concepts oh man i it's really it's really been difficult to describe that journey as kind of these like benchmarks or these places that i've gotten to where i'm like oh that makes more you know like yeah I, i feel like it's that journey that like you you just don't know where you are uh, on it um but i think that something cool about music is that it's we don't really quite understand we still don't really know why we do it and why we like it like you know it it is it requires a human to create it it requires a human to hear it and it's human organized sound right it's like did you know did we we organize these sounds in our brain and it's nice for us or it's not nice for us why is it nice for us why is it calming for us why is it why did that make you cry why did it make me smile why did it you know and and, and it's and it's strange to have this kind of this this way of communicating with people or expressing something that that we're not used to being like okay well he said this or he said that, and obviously lyrical music is is a little bit more like that. Like she's talking about this in her song, and I hear that. Uh, but with ambient music, it's kind of like this wide open communication that ev- evokes feelings yes. that you just yeah. you just don't see coming. And I think that's so cool about music. And I think that does li- link to what we're talking about about you know the intangible, the the spiritual realm, the whatever it is. I think music is a great example of this thing that we take for granted, but it's this beautiful thing that we don't quite understand but exists it's kind of like magic it's it's pretty cool yeah and the feelings that it evokes i feel kind of propel you a little bit further in that quest for meaning or whatever not necessarily in a tangible sense like we have an answer 
but feeling those feelings kind of putting you at ease and at peace i feel is kind of a step forward sort of yeah and i think yeah and that's all i could have hoped for is to even even hearing you say that that was rang true even to a little bit like a tiny extent for you to hear it to feel these things that i set out for you to hopefully feel i mean that's just that's that makes it all have been i mean and it wasn't hard for me to put this you know like it was enjoyable for me to put it together but there is something to say for that validation in a healthy way hopefully means a lot to me the fact that you were that i set out to hopefully make someone feel a moment of peace and that you did yeah i think that that's just that's just so beautiful and so great and 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 definitely a part of the reason why i do what i do totally it's really really powerful I'm curious as to your opinion as to whether you think you would have made this record if the events of 2020 hadn't transpired. I know you mentioned you were in you've been into meditation and hypnosis for a while and you've been a fan of ambient music for a while as well. But the events of this year are particularly anxiety and stress inducing. So I'm curious, do you think you were headed in this direction as far as pursuing a project like this? Or do you think the things that happened, that started to happen early in 2020 kind of set this in motion? That's a great question. Um, I, you know, who's who's really to say what the nature of cause and effect yeah. really is. But I would, if I were to guess, I would have said that this wouldn't have yeah. happened if it wasn't for, you know, the, the quarantine and COVID. And um, it's been a really hard year for everybody. And I think for any empath out there, it's really hard to constantly be surrounded by this energy that's uncomfortable. And on top of that, having, you know, gone through um, cancer and chemotherapy, I have health anxiety as well, yep. you know, getting sick and being in danger of, of that having a real big effect on your life is, is something that I'm sort of familiar with. And it felt like everybody in the world had that, that risk of cancer at the same yeah. time. It, it was like, everybody was joining me in that. And that was really hard. And I, and, um, you know, I could go to bed and listen to, music for airports for the five millionth time <laughs> great or great i could try to listen or i could try my back. hand in making yeah. something like that yeah. um you know and 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 i love ambient music but anybody else who loves ambient music the first thing i always ask them is i say hey i love ambient music but i there are a few records that i love 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 and then the rest i like can you point me in a new direction yeah. you know I, I still have a lot to learn um and, and and it's about that feeling that you're talking about. Like some of it doesn't give me that total disappear meditative state type of thing. Music for airports does. Um, Basinski's disintegration tapes does. There are certain, you know, pieces that you're, I forget that I'm even listening to music. And I, th- and I think that was part of the point for Brian designing that stuff was, the music for airports thing was the you're not just listening to the music i want this on while you're checking in yeah. while you're walking through the airport i want it's background but it's supposed to provide 
a background sense of calm instead of these noises being on their own and providing a background sense of anxiety. Um, I think, though, the difference between that and how I perceive ambient music or how I tend to digest it is I very much use it um, in a sense where I'm just focusing on the music and being calm. I don't usually put it on and, and make dinner. I usually put it on and meditate. Yeah. I put it on and try to fall asleep or, you know, I'm sitting on the plane and using it as a over your headphones to distract me from the anxiety I'm having. So, you know, I, I think this, this album that I made, it's, it's not like that in the sense that I want you to put it on and, and go do things. I think it is something that I did. I, I, I intentionally designed to be an experience on its own. So that I think is different than maybe the, the context for how Brian, you know, started making ambient works. Um, but yeah, I, I think 2020 it's, it's a 2020 record. I think. Yeah. For sure. Totally. And it is something that's meant to be consumed while ideally while sitting down and disconnecting a little bit. And you did kind of provide some guidance for the best way to experience this uh, record and the visual component as well. So what was that just for everyone that is going to go listen to the record? What would you say is the ideal setting to listen and and watch the video piece and <laughs> i feel like a mini chris nolan being like you have to see it on imax <laughs> in a movie theater even if there's covid um yeah but it, it is kind of like that right like I, I found that and i you always have to remember that when when i i, I always try to tell myself when i'm creating something i'm gonna it, and, and, and this gets back to, there are tons of musicians who probably think otherwise, that they, that they make something and they don't, they're like, whatever, I just made it. Oh, you really loved it? That's great. You care about it more than I do. And I, and I don't really know how that works because when I make something, I care about it a lot. So, so for me, I was like, you know what? I care about this so much that I know exactly how I, I think it's best to take this in. And I worked with um, two visual video synthesizers, or I guess video synthesis designers, it's hard to, there are artists who work with video synthesis and the way that I was working with audio synthesis and they create um, these amazing visual pieces where they can input sound and create these otherworldly visuals. And I, and that was when that door opened, the, the project really took on a new shape because it was providing, it was basically like I was saying, like the opposite of Brian Eno saying, put it on and have your senses go elsewhere. This was an immersive experience where your senses are flooded through your ears with the music and there's, a, there's also a video component. And I find that to be helpful because I think these days we treat most music the way that we that brian you know was saying we should treat his ambient music yeah. Yeah. we go to cafes and the beatles are on we are in the car music's on most people are enjoying music a lot while they're doing other so, things something else yeah. and i yeah and i and i thought that i was just i was just trying to guide people to be like yeah maybe you'll put it on your phone check out 30 seconds of it if i send you a link maybe you'll put it on walk into the other room but if you could 20 minutes of sitting down with this, turning the lights off, putting this on a big screen or computer in front of you, um, putting over the, your headphones on and breathing and actually giving it that, that attention, I feel like is very 
counterintuitive to our Instagram scrolling brains uh, to be focused on anything in that way. Um, you know, I'm, I find myself even watching movies these days also having my computer next to me yeah. or watching yeah. movies yeah. being on my phone. And I'm like, what am I? I can't, I yeah. can't, you know, and I'm an ADD kid from, you know, uh, from age 11, I was diagnosed with ADD. So I have an issue with that. And, I, and it actually enables me to be able to focus on different things at different times, which is kind of a gift and a curse. But yeah, so I, I wanted to guide people that, and, and it, it is no means necessary. It's not like you won't get anything out of it by listening to it any other way. But I wanted to try to nudge people in that direction of making it seem like, hey, this is an experience. You won't get anything out of it unless you do it this way. But knowing that that's not true, but knowing yeah. that I'm kind of guiding people to maybe give it a shot of putting their phone away. And, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot to say about disconnecting um, in order to fully connect with yourself or with some piece of art. Yeah, so. absolutely. And we've mentioned the video synthesis portion you worked with these two incredible artists, Nicole and Paul Picone, to create this video accompanying mint to the record. What was the collaborative process like working on this with them? Did you give them the finished work and then they built something off of that? Yeah, so th their process is it's really fascinating. They have all these computers in this rack of digital and analog equipment, um, similar to like a recording studio, it kind of looks like, but uh, just as many wires, <laughs> but a lot of like old mo like monitors, like from like desktops from kind of like the early 90s. Um, and they, they have this piece of hardware that they're able to input the the sounds in that alter not only alter what's coming out visually but they also perform the piece so by delivering the finished product to them they studied it almost like someone creating a dance for a piece of music wow and they were actually physically moving around pieces of marbled paper wow. to react as their bodies were reacting to the music, pulsating, moving things apart on rhythm. Um, and that would in turn make the computers wow. spit out those images uh, reflecting them. It's kind of like um, Liquid Light Show, Grateful Dead stuff where like um, back like old school projections, they would have like, you know, the die and yeah, the like, yeah. school projector and they'd like move it around to the music. It's It kind of reminds me a little bit of that. But um, it's also wizardry that I do not, fully comprehend i'm very much an audio guy i love film but they they're just they just are artists on another level that, that their path took them to understand this way of creating that i know nothing about so it's really a wonderful experience getting to collaborate with them and and there were intentions set too i think you know if i had just given them the music i would hope that like you did you were able they were able to gather what i was trying to communicate but i made sure to to let them know kind of the intent behind the project that you know, it was, I wanted it to be soothing. I wanted it to be, and it, and it is. And I, I think that it, it's not, it's not, I didn't want too much strobing. I didn't want to, and there's some, but I, you know, I've been at concerts where the lights are just, yeah. it's like, oh, please stop. Um, and I wanted it to be 
you know, I wanted to help with what I was already trying to do. And it, and it did. And it also added a new element. So I'm very, very grateful for their work. They're wonderful people. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have that video portion with this record. Really, really incredible cool. stuff. Thanks. How do you see this album playing into your live performances going forward? You view this, I'm assuming, as something very separate artistically from your other records. Do you see yourself performing this live at any time? That's a great question. I haven't had to think about it because yeah. <laughs> live music doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th there's no plans to uh, to do that. It, it, it's uh, The way that it was made is very layered in the sense that one thing will kind of start, another thing will add in, another thing will add in, um, and then it kind of washes away. It has kind of this, you know, tide coming in, tide coming out um, theme to each piece. So it would, you know, to create that on stage would require a few musicians. And like I said, I have another album that is, you know, pretty much done that I'm working on figuring out for this year. And I'm guessing by the time things are looking like possibly live music could factor into the equation again or even playing with people in a room i think i'll be more excited about yeah that because it'll it'll feel like this this moment has been its moment um and you know i would think that if if everything was open everything was normal that i would do a few shows and figure it out but for right now i don't I don't really have to. And, and the profits back at my friend's house. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'd have to karaoke it or something. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It w I, th I think it would be a great live show. I would love to see it. Yeah. Um, I think it would just take a lot to figure out how to make it um, in to really, to really nail it. I think it would need a lot of careful thought into how to recreate it in a live setting. Um, but it would be, I think it'd be really cool. Have you ever seen um, ambient music live? It's insane. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so, it's such a different experience than going to see a band. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just like, you just kind of, you're just like, oh, I get social anxiety at shows. And um, I'm also really tall. So it doesn't help. But if I, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I can't shrink. Somebody can't yeah. see behind me. I stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and I'm drunk, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, but at ambient shows, I, I literally am as tall as I am and I lose myself and, and it's just, and you're just like, Oh, I forgot I was at a show. I think that's so, that's so cool about this type of music is, you know, you, it, it, I think it really does have to do with going inward and, and that's, that's cool that a, a performer can achieve that. I'm, I'm sure the show has to be pretty special, but I saw Emily from florist. She, yeah, does, she wow. has an amazing, amazing ambient project that I admire so much. Um, and I saw I was fortunate enough to see her perform ambient works. Um, and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was great. So, so the answer, the, the, the long answer there is, is no, definitely no plans as of now to, gotcha. to do it live. Cool. But you know what would be cool is to, is to figure out a way to fund a new project for Nicole and Paul to provide visuals for... Um, my stage show for my next record. Yeah, I would love to because they're that. just so good. I, 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 they're not very, one trick ponies cool. either. Yeah, that, so they could come up with something totally different. I think to to be to fit my next record, even though it's a different style of music. So that that could be really crazy. super super cool. 
Going back to earlier this year, I did want to ask you about the live record that you put out live at the Grove, and you also organized the Highland Park Folk Festival, which was seemed like a really, really great event and interesting and kind of weirdly prescient that you put out this great live record and organized what sounds like a really cool live event like right before the pandemic hit. So it seems like it was one of the last things to happen in LA before everything kind of shut down. What was it like putting that together? And do you look back and think about, hey, this was really special thing that I put together now that we really don't have live music at all? Yeah, it, it, it didn't, we didn't know it was a finale yeah. at the time. Um, I remember, you know, people were, you know, this was before anybody was wearing a mask or it was kind of, you know, people, people like uh, elbow bumping, but like kind of laughing. Yeah, it was at, March at 7th, it. right? I saw it because yeah. like, I was reading about it. Yeah. So right before. We, we had hand sanitizer everywhere, but just yeah. so people, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't any like, should we do this? It was more like, is it going to rain today? Yeah. And then within a couple weeks, we were all inside. Yeah. And um, I'm so glad that you mentioned Live at the Grove and Highland Park Folk Festival in, the, in kind of the same question because they were very linked to me kind of uh, and my experience with live music, which kind of gets back to the whole social anxiety being at shows thing in general, which is, you know, I'm I, before all this, I was at a show every night, every other night. Yeah. Um, I kind of live at clubs and in dark rooms that smell like skunked yep. beer and um <laughs> so do i really loud music and um the patios and the cigarettes and y y it's just it it's it's so live music is amazing and it's so exciting and it's so fantastic uh but i think when you're in it so much and you're playing shows and seeing shows it, it becomes a little monotonous and I, I know a lot of touring bands that say the same it's like what city are we in? What green room are we in right now? Like, go out, do the thing. Everything seems the same. We don't really feel too connected. All the lights are off. Um, and so with Live at the Grove, I wanted to uh, perform, but put ourselves in a, in a different setting than, than at, you know, the clubs that we played so many times, which again, I miss so much now. Yeah. But at the time I was like, you know what? I don't want to go see another club show. I don't want to play... I want to do a live thing, but I want to film it and I want to be outside and like, it's beautiful out here. And, um, let's go to like the middle of the woods and set up and, and record to tape and film it and put it and, you know, and, um, so that was kind of the beginning of it. And then it was kind of like, okay, that experience was amazing for us. How do we bring other people in on yeah. this? How do we do that whole, like, you know, big Sur music festival, Monterey pop people on, picnic blankets food vendors vintage clothes band playing under a tree everybody have seeing each other smile yeah. uh, it just it was just such a it's it's kind of I, I i'm not sure i mean i know that the, these things happen but it did and, it, and it's in no way an original idea but it did at the time it felt so refreshing to the monotony of club shows but then everything kind of went away so it was like it was kind of like um yeah, it was, it was a lot of our last 
experience of a really great show. A lot of my, and I and a lot of friends played the show, so we all look back on it really fondly, and and it's something that I'm definitely interested in doing in the future. But it was definitely not a single-minded effort. It was it was kind of I work really well this way, where like conceptually I can come up with something really great. Um, but there were so many production yeah. designers, volunteers, and everybody, you know, most of the musicians playing for free. Like it was just, everybody just wanted to come together because it wasn't like, Hey, come to this club and will you do a free set? It was kind of like, look at this place. We're in a park. And like, there's like balloons and lights and trees and all these smiling faces. Like, you know, everybody who was playing was, it, we're all kind of at the same stage where it's like, all right, like I'm really waiving a fee of splitting a hundred bucks between our band members and some drink tickets anyway like let's let's do the show um and that was really great for me because you know it just took a little bit of money to put in to make it happen and get the permits and all that kind of stuff so it was it was just great to put on something for free for everybody and and uh yeah i hope to do it again um but i don't you know i don't want to do like a highland park virtual folk festival thing and the live stream thing was cool for a minute there it was cool for I liked it for a minute. I did a couple, and then it w- and then now I think it's at the point. Because remember when it, when in the beginning of quarantine it was like every day yeah. was I, a live stream. I'm very much into the experience of live music, the social aspect of being yeah. around people you love mm-hmm. and like to spend time with, and just being there. And the Highland Park Folk Festival seemed amazing just looking at the pictures i could feel i don't know if it was a warm day but it seemed like it was a nice the weather was nice and everything to be outside in a park enjoying music with people you enjoy being around seems like an incredible and beautiful event so it really jumped out at me when i saw it on the the internet thanks for saying that yeah yeah, and hopefully you can be at the next one i mean it, it was it was really special for me um personally to see so many people come together to just trying to have a really fun day. And, it, and that's, that's what it ended up being is just, you know, the, the people working really hard just to, um, just to have like, wasn't that a great day? Like that was so nice, yeah. you know, and that, and that's, and we did, we accomplished that for a lot of people. And, and, and I think it came right on time. Um, and, and yeah, that was like the last, yeah, that's like the last, that was the last show. <laughs> RIP <Yeah>. live music. <laughs> It'll be back someday soon, (laughs) hopefully sooner rather than later. Yep. All right, so now we're going to play the first two tracks from Ryan's new album, Museum at the End of Time. Again, everyone, you can get it via the Perpetual Doom website, which is perpetualdoom.com. It's available for download or available for purchase on cassette tape. We're going to hear the beginning and the end and Strange Beings of Greenwater, the first two tracks on the album. They blend nicely into each other, so sit back and enjoy them.
All right, we're back. We just heard two songs from Ryan's new ambient record. The record, of course, is called Museum at the End of Time. And we heard the first two tracks on the record, the beginning and the end, and Strange Beings of Greenwater. And of course, you can get this album on cassette via the Perpetual Doom label. And their web address is perpetualdoom.com. Now, we're going to talk about Ryan's record picks. Everyone, you can follow along with the Spotify playlist. It's in the description of this episode. And first up, we have Beach Boys Smile Sessions. Cabin Essence, gorgeous song. I've always wondering i hope if there is some kind of afterlife or some kind of alternate universe where brian wilson did finish uh smile originally i would love to hear what this was meant to sound like you know because he was interviewed about it and he said you know we'll never know like this is as close as you're gonna get and i guess he did that one like 16 years ago where he recorded all the songs by himself or whatever. Yep. Which, Brian Wilson presents yeah. Smile. Yeah. So, which is good, but different. I, you know, it's cool to hear these kind of unfinished songs too. I, I, I like it. I think it's really, yeah. you get insight into his process and what he was going for. Yeah. I, I grew up um, big, big into pet sounds and I, my buddy, Justin had uh, the Good Vibrations box set of CDs. And they had, there was like four tracks on there. I think it was Heroes and Villains. Um, Gosh, I want to say Wonderful. Surf's Up, because Surf's Up came out on that album. 
and it and they were so they seemed so finished for an unfinished project and it was just so we were obsessed with those few tracks and then there were i didn't know but there were a lot of bootlegs going around of people mixing it down from the sessions that had leaked and the bootlegs etc um and it's it's just insane to me when i listen to it i don't i don't feel like i'm listening to something that unfinished yeah like, to me it plays like a record and that was so in that was it made it more sad because <laughs> yeah. it's one thing if a guy walks away from a project his masterpiece and it really truly is half finished but to be able to hire a couple guys to go in there with all the tapes and make something and him be, now today be like yeah that's pretty much it yeah it was just it's insane i mean it's it's to me it's one of the greatest records ever made or not made whatever so yeah and the first time i saw i heard cabin essence off this uh which is crazy because i didn't realize it was on beach boys 2020 which is not on spotify I, I, I don't i don't really know that record at all but that cabin essence was one of the ones that they took the 67 session and then had carl come in and do a vocal on it so it it actually has been out there for a while but this this song means a lot to me and it's it's one of the ones that like really hit home yeah i heard it for the first time yeah it's a really really heavy track as far yeah. as the harmonies in the <sighs> chorus awesome awesome fucking song yeah light the lamp and fire Since timely hello Welcomes the time for a After that, Fleet Foxes, 3rd of May, off of Crack Up. Yeah, what do you think of that? I love Fleet Foxes. New record's pretty good. Have you listened to the new Fleet Foxes record? You know, I have. I, um, I'm a long time fan of Robin Pecknold's writing. I think he's one of the most fantastic writers. Um, you know, self-titled was really big for me getting, you know, back into, I think like th that was the bridge between being into like, like animal collective and mostly like electronic sounds at the time to being like, Oh, a band. Yeah. Like, Oh, I love bands. I forgot like, Oh, harmonies. Like these are things that I love. Um, and Fleet Foxes kind of was my return to guitar music and uh, Helplessness Blues specifically was lyrically a record that, you know, he's only a few years, a couple years older than I am. Um, and it was just this coming of age story about a breakup and, and deciding what's right for yourself and your relationship and your um your future and it, it just shattered me so that record was was in my opinion is just a masterpiece um and crack up came so many years later and it was this it was it's like so challenging that record it's like jazzy the writing is like prog folk it's it's mind-blowing what for him to spend that much time on it it was so worth it for me um third of may is a, a pick off that that's kind of it's it doesn't it doesn't show that the full scope of that record it's almost more like in the direction of helplessness blues for that record because that record is so oblique and and minimalist and maximalist it's it's it, it blows my mind i could talk about robin pecknold's writings forever but the new one um i love it's great i haven't i haven't gotten really deep with it yet but I, f I find that that's happening with me more and more with records 
like uh, where where the release date isn't where I j- dive in yeah. right away. Uh, that I'll, I'll uh, you know, that and and it, and it is a lighter record. It feels a little bit more uplifting, more um, approachable. And Crack Up, I think, is so not that uh, for a band that people think of like White Winter Hymnal. And then Robin Pecknell comes back and he's like, hey, I've been gone for this long. Look at this in- immense work. It, it was just... I, I really admire him so much for what he's able to do with his music and what he's able to bring into it. Um, so that's why I picked something off of Crack Up. Yeah, that's super impressive for an artist to be dormant for that long as far as the public eye and releasing a piece of work. I feel like that adds so much pressure, especially for someone for a band like Fleet Foxes who... That 2008 record, I remember, we're about the same age, and I remember when that came out, I was in college, and just people were obsessed with it, and for good reason, too. Like you mentioned, the harmonies on that record are just gorgeous, and I feel like I hadn't heard anything like that on a contemporary record in such a long time at, at that point in time. So they really had a profound effect on a lot of people that listen to indie music and things like that. And then again, to come back for their follow-up many years later and put out something great, you know, really yeah, impressive. Yeah, it's it's so impressive to me. It's, it, it's truly one of those works where you really get to know the inner working of somebody's mind and, and, and see truly how capable they are at so many different styles and approaches and modes and instruments and textures it was just i bet it was a lot for some people who 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 wanted to hear more of you know the helpness of yeah. self-titled thing because it, it really is to me it strikes more as a robin packnold solo master opus that's kind of how i view that record um and it's yeah i think it'll go down as one of the big records of our generation that that totally i love Um, crack up helplessness blues they're they're all really really incredible records he's great risk taker too with crack up big time big time time. and he seems and also he's for how serious that record is crack up and how seriously he takes his art which is so amazing it's also awesome to live in the internet age where uh, you can follow him on Instagram and as serious as he takes his art, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Yes, and that, great. that I feel like I look up to that so, so much because I know how easy it must be to make very serious art, to be writing about such serious things, to make such emotional things and then be like, well, that's me. That's my personality. And I have to match that. And I've always struggled with that because I, I like, you know, having fun and sometimes I write sad songs and, and I like, I really admire how he's been able to separate that and be funny and be light and be, and then release an album like crack up and you're like, Whoa, that you're a deep, insanely intelligent guy. Um, but he also like, you know, is light and easy and, and makes jokes about himself and laughs at himself. And I, I think that that's like, I really look up to him in that way. So yeah, total, total G as they would say. Total G.
Next, I mean, this record. I love Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen and Highway Patrolman is an incredible song. I love this record because it's another one where Bruce is putting out a string of really great hit records with songs that are really resonating with people that people sing along to. And then this more really simpler folk-oriented record, kind of like very Dylan-esque in a lot of ways. So that's why I really love uh, Nebraska. Same. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I think especially the part about, you know, when we're talking about an artist who is so much pressure, making so many hits, top of the charts, and then releases a demo tape done the cassette in yeah. a hotel room in a different style, not radio friendly stuff. Uh, you know, you, you just hear all those stories of music executives being like, you're crazy yeah. artist person. Like, what are you thinking? And, you know, and if you only see dollar signs in artists, you're right to a certain extent, but that record means more to me than any Bruce record, just for the point that it makes to me in my life, which is you just go where you go and you go to where your heart goes. And if it's doesn't make sense to anyone else and everybody hates you for it, whatever, you have time to write something else. Like you're writing for yourself. And if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. And I, I just think that that, that record, just that there's something about lo-fi recordings and homemade recordings that I really connect to as well. So it's something about not being in a studio where I think some sort of emotion hits the tape in a different way. And, so I really connected the way he recorded that too. Absolutely, yeah, totally. I mean, I get chills listening to this record. Certain yeah. songs, it's the intimacy of lo-fi recording when done right can really be very, very powerful. And of 100%. course, this is one of them that is on another level of powerfulness. Yep, yep. Got to be in the probably the top lo-fi records. Of yes. All time. Yeah, you know, one of the inspired a generation of yep. bedroom. Emmett Rhodes, Daniel artists. Johnson, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. I work for the state. I'm a sergeant out of Burnville. Barracks number eight. I always done Next up, Ty Seagal and White Fence Hair. Song on that record called Time. Yeah, that opens that record. Yeah, that's a great song and a great record. I love that collaboration. Me too. Have you been, have you, I think I saw a bunch of Ty. Yeah, I love Ty. Yeah. I'm a Ty guy. There was, there was one point where he was the last living rock star for me. Yeah. I would go to see his shows and, and be... It was like as if I was seeing, you know, name, enter name here. It, he was the god of rock and roll. It, I think it was like Slaughterhouse, Sleeper, uh, Manipulator were the three records that like in LA, those shows were packed with yeah. diehard mosh pits and just people willing to give everything to the performance. And he, yeah, so that, that I think that record, that might have been... I forget when in the discography that is, 
but that was early on yeah. when I was getting into Ty. Like I wasn't into him when when he was it, doing, um, you know, Goodbye Bread. Like all the the like really early stuff. I I didn't know about. Yeah. Um. It wasn't until I'd moved to Los Angeles where I figured out Ty Seagal, and and he's one of my heroes. I mean, I think same thing. He goes wherever he wants. He doesn't give a shit. He'll make a folk record. He'll make a. And he's not doing it for any reason other than because he wants to. And you can hear that in his music. And and that's why he makes such amazing music. It's because he's having so much fun doing it. And it just seems that record with White Fence, specifically the production, blew my mind. It's like production retro, if you want to call it that, or vintage, whatever you want to say, about trying to make records that sound more akin to records that came out in the 60s and 70s versus records that come out sounding like they were recorded in a studio today that record was effortlessly yeah. retro in a way that didn't sound deliberate yeah. yeah yeah it, yeah exactly it just sounded like fucked up yeah. in the perfect way and the guitar tones and the drum sounds are mind-blowing they're mind-blowing i bought i bought my tape machine because of that record my 388 because i scoured the internet looking for articles about how those guys were recording in San Francisco. Um, and they were like, well, we go to the 388 tape machine. I was like, cool, that's what I'm Got fucking it. buying. I'm getting it. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever had a chance to meet and chat with them before? I have. Um, a friend of mine is uh, the bassist in a band called Wand. Um, yeah, cool. and Who are out of control, incredible as well. Um, and they, when they were starting to put out records... Um, they were doing it through Ty's imprint of Drag City, I want to say. It's called God Records. Um, and so they were really close with Ty, and they would play shows with him. And And I'd be going to see my buddy Lee, and then after the show would be with Lee, and then Ty would come over, and, you know, it would, it would be more like passing conversations. I've never been, you know, able to be like, dude, let's talk about Neil Young. Or like, you know, like, never, like, or dude, like, you know, uh, like tell me about like, what do you love about the Beatles? Like, I obviously want to pick that guy's brain because he's just, he just is so hip to that. Like the Mark Marin interview he does. Yeah, like, that's he's a just great so hip interview. To, he's hip to everything. And, and he's just has one of those minds. He's like, I'm sure of it. And I don't know him, but I'm sure of it that he's just a walking encyclopedia. If you can name your top 10 favorite bands, I'm sure Ty Siegel could give you 10 more you've never heard of that you're going to love. Yeah. So I, I, one time I was at a, a, a garage sale around the corner from my house and Ty was there and there was this old harmony guitar. And I was like, hey, Ty, come here for a sec. And he was like, hey, man, how are you? Like, really lovely guy. Like, I don't know if you remember me, but I, he was just like, hey, dude. And I was like, do you think I should grab this guitar? And he was like, oh, man. He's like, I've got like so many of these old harmony guitars. They're, they're such a vibe. Do it. And I was nice. like, Ty Siegel just told me to buy a guitar. I'm going to buy yeah. it. And it was, like, it was like 75 bucks. And then I fixed it up at the shop. But So I have a guitar that I never play, but I'm never getting rid of because Ty told me to buy it. And that's so. That's so but, yeah. cool. That's yeah. He he, he seems very, very lovely. Have you ever gotten to talk with him? No, that, but that's super cool that you have someone that you really look up to Definitely. as far as someone that's influenced your music and that you really respect that you've yeah. gotten to interact with. Yeah, it's special. I def Yeah, there's definitely those stories where it's like, don't meet your heroes. And then Ty is not that guy. It's like, no, if your hero's Ty Siegel, you should meet him. Yeah. He's a great dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool. 
and last animal collective off of fall be kind i think i can this this one really brings me back to that time anytime i hear any animal collective song it yeah. really transports me to that period the aughts yep same 100 percent same they yeah. they uh, that's so funny that you mentioned that because i think a lot of people describe music as like i'm taken right back there and i do have that experience with some music not everything um, though yeah but not a, yeah not the majority at least or not even half but animal collective specifically this ep because it was after merriweather and we were all obsessed with merriweather and then we came home to outside of philadelphia to spend the summer before going back to school and me and my friend Justin, who I mentioned when we were talking about Smile, we got our hands on Fall Be Kind and we just were like in the driveway, like going in to meet all of our friends, but like couldn't leave the car. Yeah. And we're just like glued to our seats. Just Panda Bear was his guy in the way that Justin's such a Beach Boys head and Panda Bear was able to like emulate Brian, but also be so yes. himself. and bring it into this strange experimental world. And, and, and Dave was like my dude, as far as like, Oh my God, he's like the true vocal performer and like the, the energy, like Dave has so much energy. And then that, that, that period of animal collective where they were, their voices were like morphing to be more like each other and that kind of collaboration. Oh my God, it's insane. And I think I can, is one of the long, longer Noah Panda Bear tracks, but, um, but that band, that band is really, really big for me. They were really, really big for me. Like at, at, the, at that time when this came out, they were my favorite band. Oh I'd yeah. Say. I mean, huge, huge band. I always think it's, as you alluded to cool, how they were able to take influence of people like Brian Wilson and the beach boys and really modernize it in a way that was fresh really it was very fresh sounding what animal yeah, collective I think, was able I, to do i think that's what i was saying before about the the ambient thing that i made museum at the end of time it's like you always hope that of course your influences are going to be loud because you're making music and you love music you know so like your love is of for music your record collection is going to be in your artwork but you hope that your original voice is a part of that circle in the biggest, or at least has an equal seat at the table. And like, there's no way you can listen to Panda Bear and say, oh, that's just the Beach Boys. Yeah, no. You know, yeah. you, could, you could never do that, but you hear it yeah. and that's okay. You know, and, and I think, you know, same with every record that we talk about, you know, you, you can talk about it, but I like that we're not really doing that. We're, you know, Animal Collective is the first one where we've even mentioned another band. Yeah. But, you know, you can talk, I think it's it's very common to be like, oh, that band sounds like this band or that, you know, and I think that that can sometimes be um, minimalizing or like, you know, like not, it kind of can be a conversation ender because their original voice is the best part, you know, so... Yeah, Animal Collective, they, they, they're they're like nobody else. They really are. Absolutely. I always, I also think it was cool. There was this interview that Brian Wilson did like five years ago. And they asked him, you know, there's so many of these artists that 
cite you as a big influence. He's like, do you know any of them? Are you familiar with any of them? Like, what do you think? He's like, no, like, I just like listening to oldies and stuff. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> so Spot on, Brian impression. He's influenced this whole generation of indie musicians, and he just it doesn't know about it. Oh, man. Which is funny to me. But, that is really yeah. funny. I wonder how many times Mac DeMarco gets sent something by like an 18 year old kid and like hears his influence in real time. Yeah. I, I still like when I get bands sent to me that are uh, that age, like young 20s, like a lot of the time, like I can hear Mac yeah. in their music pretty quickly, which is I love Mac DeMarco, but it's pretty crazy to me to think, you know, it, it reminds me of I forget which Yes album. Um, not to defend the t-shirt that I'm wearing, but in the liner notes, it's like, thank you to all of our friends and family. And of course the Beatles. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because yeah. the Beatles really didn't break up or exist that much before. Yes. Yeah. But they have the balls to be like, thank you. Of course to the Beatles. That'd be me being like, be like me coming out with an album being like, thank you to mom and dad. And of course, Grizzly Bear. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, <laughs> that's mad respect that Yes yeah. wants to have for the Beatles. And and I think that, like, you know, I'm seeing that in real time play out with Mac DeMarco. And it's really interesting. From guitar tones to even writing. And it's great. It's great. But it, but it must be interesting to be him and be like, man, I hear myself in a lot of these bands. You can definitely hear it in New York City since I'm in my 30s, my early 30s. So there's a lot of younger kids not really kids but people in their early 20s that start bands around here that i've heard a lot of them definitely have that mac demarco influence that beach fossils influence oh, definitely, definitely. The, those ringing guitar tones mm-hmm. with lo-fi recordings and that aura and that vibe which is cool because I like that stuff. So it's cool yeah, to hear. <laughs> yeah, it works it's, out for us. It's cool to hear that younger people aren't abandoning the guitar either. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. people always get wor- worried about that, but there's plenty of really talented younger people. We're still young. I consider us still young, but yeah, you know. <laughs> thanks. I need to hear. I need to hear that once a day. But the people that are Gen Z, I guess, that are now mm-hmm. entering their twenties early 20s that are playing in bands they're still making really good stuff yeah so it's cool to hear yeah Brian, it was so cool having you on the Look Up My Records podcast. Super, super awesome to chat about your new ambient record museum at the end of time, which is out now via Perpetual Doom. It's available on cassette. And of course, there's a really cool visual piece created by Nicole and Paul Picone that goes along with museum at the end of time everyone check it out watch it uh it's available on Bandcamp. the record mm-hmm. no streaming 
your butt no. your butthole streaming services, Spotify. <laughs> fuck you. Tom, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, thank you for the insightful questions. Thank you for chatting with me about music. It feels good. It's like, this is what I miss. You know, it's like sitting around, listening to records, talking about why we love them. Yeah, it's man. It's like, you know, uh, even though it's usually, hopefully not me talking about why I love my own music. I'm glad we did that too. Yeah. It was a pleasure. We're definitely going to hang out when I'm in LA. Because I like yeah. you a lot. You're cool. Hell yeah. And yeah. I do want to play one song from your 2019 record to end the show. We're going to hear Only Child to close the show off of Ryan's 2019 self-titled album, which is out via Anti. You could get it on vinyl. So go do that. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Go Rangers.
call me your name and date of birth? Ryan Polly 8288. MRN 227-47839. Ryan Polly 8288. MRN 227-47839. This is Polly 45mg. We're going to be ready for an hour. Yeah. 